Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 20, Sasha interviews Dr. Miriam Knoll about how social media can be used to advance women. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Good morning, Brave Enough community. I am so excited to be here today. It is Sasha, your host, and we are going to be talking about a really fun topic today. We have a special guest, Dr. Miriam Knoll. She is a radiation oncologist in New York, and she has a really interesting story about how she grew up in the era of social media, but really decided to delve into it. And she's used it to advance not only her career, but really advanced women and I am so excited to have her on the show today. So let's just dive in. Welcome, Miriam. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. Well, I'm a huge fan of yours. So this is going to be super fun. And we have been already chatting for about 10 minutes pre-show. And I'm just imagining that we're sitting in some amazing coffee shop in New York and not um, I'm sitting in the polar vortex of Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. If I told my kids that there are children who get to stay home because it's too cold, they would not believe me. (laughs) (laughs) So so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Introduce yourself to the Brave Enough community and tell us about you. Sure. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, my grandparents are actually Holocaust survivors and they came to New York uh, with nothing and rebuilt everything. And one of the things that was really, really important to them was education. So my mother is a doctor. She's a pediatrician. My father is a vascular surgeon. And I really grew up with doctors and with medicine because actually both my parents have their offices and still have their offices in the home where I grew up. So my mother and actually my uncle, who's a cardiologist, had the office in the basement and my father had the first floor. Um, My father-in-law is a doctor. He's a urologist. My husband is a doctor. He's an interventional radiologist. And there are more doctors. (laughs) I'll move on from that. (laughs) So I actually got married in my first year of medical school. My husband was actually applying at that time. And then I had two kids in medical school and then one residency and one after. Um, and, you know, like everyone else who's a mom, it's, it's always hard to be a mom. And, it's, it's you know, since I'm talking to a community of physicians, um, I think we all can agree that it's, medical school is extremely hard and it, it's certainly more difficult with kids. Um, and I would say that, you know, my medical school was not supportive, um, definitely not. I, um, you know, my husband and I actually did third and fourth year together because I had taken a year off when my oldest was born. And um, even though I was the only student out of about 150 that was expecting a baby, um, they did not give me like any sort of allowance. Like there was actually a um, lottery system for the order of your clerkships. Do you remember having that? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So like you get a number, and then the hot, the lower your number, the more likely you are to get the order of clerkships that you want. 
And I remember asking them, like, could I get a better number? Like, I'm expecting a baby in November. It's actually my second because I'd already had my first. But when I came back, I was going to be doing my clerkships. And they're like, no, we can't help you. I was like, what do you mean? I'm the, literally the only person having a baby. And I knew that there were other people that got better numbers for other things like the PhD students that were coming back. So like there were situations that people, you know, got like a special consideration and they didn't. But anyway, you know, I ended up getting a good number anyway, or maybe it wasn't a good number. I ended up getting the, the order that I wanted and my husband got the order that he wanted. So we actually did it every rotation together. And it was great because we would study together, but I would say that it, it was very hard and there was really no one to talk to. And I remember struggling whenever there was, like I was in a difficult situation, I was having a hard time. I'd be like, who can I talk to? And there was one medical student who was three years ahead of me. And I remember her, Dr. Steinberg, I think her name was Alana Steinberg. And somehow I found her and met her. I remember calling up and saying like, are you sure this is worth it? Because I'm about to quit. <laughs> like, this is really, really hard. And she says to me, just imagine walking across that stage with your babies hmm. and getting your diploma. That hmm. is the best feeling in the world. She's like, I know how you feel. Just focus on that. I guarantee you it's going to be good. It's going to be worth it. Oh, and, I and love that. I love that she gave you some <laughs> hope. You know, I have, a, really I have a really good friend who's still one of my best friends. And she and I had babies our intern year. And uh-huh. I had my first child, my first week of residency, if you can imagine that. And we went, I went back to start my first rotation at the VA And Mm -hmm. we, her and I still laugh about this. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's honestly not funny. We were breastfeeding and we were pumping and there was, there was no place that we could pump. And in the women's, the bathroom, there was no outlet. So we, yeah, and it's disgusting. And so we found, (laughs) we found one of the custodians, believe it or not, a male custodian who felt bad for us because he obviously knew what was going on and he gave us his custodian closet allowed us to pump in the custodial closet we pulled two chairs in there from our clinic it it had it didn't lock the door didn't lock so we would (laughs) we would one of us would kind of like I mean, if it wasn't for her, I don't know how I would have just had to not breastfeed because mm-hmm. she would yeah. kind of like sit outside and like we put a sign on the door and we would one of us would sit closer to the door so we could watch for right. out for the other person. Right. But like that right. was our option. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it was it's crazy. Like no one there was no one to say, oh, this is where you can do that or yeah. this is your break to do that. Like so we sat yeah. in a custodial closet of the VA hospital like that was our that was our scene. That was what we did. Amazing. <laughs> Incredible. It, it, it's funny, but it's not funny. Like it's, it's terrible. It is. I mean, the way, I know. The way, you know, what really bothers me. So, so I, you know, I were talking about social media before. So, you know, I initially joined Twitter as a resident. Um, my husband was just like surfing the web one night and he's like, do you know, Eli Linger has 14,000 followers. I was like, Eli Linger? Like, I grew up with that kid. He was like my neighbor. Like, how does he have 14,000 followers? And at that time, he was the social media producer at CNBC. And I was like, Eli's into this. Let me let me check it out. I wonder what this is. And it really opened up an entire world to me of doctors who 
have opinions just like I do. And the thing is, you know, we're each alone, but overall, we all have very similar experiences. Right, and, right. you know, it's like, you know, you're, you're lucky that you had your friend. But like you said, if your friend wasn't going through that same situation, you would really feel alone. And you, I'm sure, felt alone even with that one friend. Right. You know, so it's like, it's so crazy. It, it is medicine, crazy. It is, it is you know? crazy. And it's crazy. And that's what I wanted to get into with you is how you have obviously made a huge contribution in social media to medicine and specifically writing about women in medicine and their struggles and how you have used it to advance women. And, you know, I I, I really want to get into that because a lot of people think that when they hear social media, they just shut down, especially in our profession. They think, yeah. oh, you're a doctor and you're on social media? Like, that's bad yeah. news. Well, obviously, there's yeah. n- there, it's not without risk. There's always risk with social media, just like yeah. in any avenue for communication. But I think that it is so powerful in the way that it relates to women. And I know that you've you and I were discussing um, uh, my publication in the New England Journal of Medicine about social media that I wrote with Dr. Julie Silver and how yeah. it can really, it really has brought women together in medicine. And yes. it, uh, it just normalizes so many experiences. And with that, Absolutely. you actually are better physicians for it, in my opinion. So talk, talk to me about Absolutely. that. Like, how did you... How did you decide, oh my goodness, I'm going to use this to kind of advance women? Was this a planned strategic move or did this just kind of happen organically? Sure. So great question. So um, things kind of happened on their own in the sense that I've always had very strong opinions. <laughs> I'm sure not surprised to hear that. Um, and, you know, I feel that I've had a lot of experiences already you know, even when I was a resident or a new attending because I had kids young and I got married young and, you know, things, I've had so many experiences and strong reactions in my head really only to the way I was treated and the way we were all treated in medical school and residency, you know, in medicine in general, there is such a strong hierarchy and there's such a strong culture that is really, really difficult. And what social media taught me, just by joining and starting to talk to people and listening in other people's conversations through Twitter and through closed physician-only Facebook groups, is that we're very often all thinking the same thing. But we don't realize that because we're so used to, you know, being told to just be quiet and put up with it. And combination of listening to other people, talking to other people, realizing that there are so many people out there with similar experiences, and then at the same time, really being given an opportunity to write. You know, I joined um, the ASCO Connection blog as a contributor when I was still a resident, and I had a really, really great editor. Her name is Virginia Anderson. And she encouraged me, you know, after I had given, I had written a couple of pieces that were published and she really liked them. So she offered me to be a regular contributor. And the really, the turning point was when I went to the ASCO annual meeting, American Society of Clinical Oncology in 2016. And it was, I was there really just for one meeting and it was in Chicago. So it's like, you know, less than a two hour flight from New York. So I figured 
let me take my big boys with me, my eight-year-old and six-year-old at the time, and let, let me make a little trip out of it. So I knew that I had to go to the meeting for this, you know, one meeting, this lunch that was really important. And I needed to get childcare for that, you know, two-hour window. And it was so hard for me to find babysitting help um, that I almost considered not taking them or even not going to the meeting. But I persisted, and I ended up finding out through a roundabout way. I got a babysitter. And when I got there, I remember thinking, like, it was so hard for me. And the truth is, I didn't need the help that badly because I really could have left them at home. I just sort of wanted to bring them. And I remember thinking, you know, imagine someone who really had to bring their kids, but let's say couldn't and ended up not going to the conference. So I, w- I mentioned it to Virginia. I was like, you know, I'm thinking about writing this blog post, you know, and she's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. So I wrote this blog post and it's the, the title was in the Hillary Clinton era, is there a glass ceiling at ASCO's annual meeting? And I wrote about how ASCO had never tracked what the percentage of men and women attendees at their meeting because I requested the data and they didn't have it. They did not offer any sort of child care. They didn't have, they didn't um, advertise well at least that they had any rooms for nursing mothers. And I propose that from this year going forward, they should track the gender of their attendees. Meaning if we don't track it, how are we going to know? And what's interesting is that ASCO has, has always collected data from their attendees about other things like, are you a nurse? Are you a doctor? Are you a therapist? Um, what country are you from? Um, what organizations do you belong to? They always collected lots and lots of data, but never gender. And we know there's a glass ceiling in medicine, and we know that there's a glass ceiling for mothers, and it was something that no one had ever even proposed or thought about. So I propose that they track gender or at least request the data. Obviously, you know, people can choose whether or not to respond. I propose that they offer on-site child care. And what happened next was so shocking to me. But the, the blog post that I wrote got such an incredible reception that the vice president of meeting services at ASCO contacted me. She thanked me for bringing up this issue. She said no one had ever brought it up before. They're starting to talk about it now. They're going to advertise their nursing room, which they had already had, because someone had actually commented on my blog post publicly saying I had to leave the meeting last year because I couldn't find it and I brought my baby with me. Um, and they said they're going to think about childcare. Meanwhile, Reshma Jaxi, who was like this, you know, hero of mine who I'd never met, but she is, you know, a powerhouse and was really one of the first female voices in medicine talking about gender equity in medicine. Um, someone had forwarded her my blog post. She contacted me asking, telling me, I think you're onto something. Um, you know, I'm sure you don't know me, but you know, I've just something I've always been interested in. Do you want to collaborate? And my eyes almost popped out of my head because I was like, I can't believe Rush Majoxi is contacting me. Anyway, long story short, she, we, of course, I was like thrilled to work with her. She actually funded a survey study that we did together. Um, and it's actually been submitted for publication. And what we looked at was uh, we surveyed early career oncologists, their views on um, parenthood and conference attendance and, you know, to see, you know, is this a real barrier or not? Not only that, but last year we, um, with, with Dr. Joxie actually, I did an updated blog post for ASCO and 
They did track the gender like they had promised from this point going forward. So we reported on that data. And ASCO allowed me to be the one to announce that they're going to be offering on-site child care. That going is forward. amazing. That Starting is amazing. Starting in 2019. This is one of the biggest cancer conferences in the world. And they're going to be offering on-site child care because of social media. Yeah. Would not have happened otherwise. Well, and it, social media and your initiative to call out a very common problem and a very, like you called out a common problem, which I think is so important. And, you know, I was, I'm very active in my own subspecialty society. And I Uh think that, um, you know, now is the time where we, we really have to start looking at these things. And I, I always think, okay, do I really want to be the one to speak up? But then I think, you know, we pay our Uh societies, right. And we are, you know, women are now 50% of medical um, matriculants, medical school matriculants. Yep. Like yep. we, we a little more actually a little more exactly 50. What is it? 53% now in 2018. So we have to really recognize that we're not servicing the majority of, of the future of physicians. Absolutely. If we don't actually step in and say, Hey, you know, let's look at some obstructions to, um, coming to meetings and attending meetings. And I think the data is so strong that shows that women, you know, I don't know if you know of, uh, if you saw the recent uh, study published, um, I think it was by Sean Arker in the Harvard Business Review about how uh, women who attend female leadership conferences actually a year later, within one year, have higher salaries, which means they learn how to negotiate better for themselves. And they have a, they have higher engagement in their you know, community practices, because I often hear, oh, you're putting together some, you know, frou-frou conference for women. And Mm -hmm. I just think Mm -hmm. you have no idea how powerful these conferences are, you know? And so I think it's really important that women attend their subspecialty conferences, even if it's not uh, a women only conference, you know, a, a, a a conference focusing on women. So I think that's incredible that you, you know, really led in this space. Um, how has it, I would tell you, I want to comment on on what you said about women being afraid of social media or being afraid of the one of the one to speak up. Um, I think it's the opposite. I think, and, and I've only learned this by doing it and, and, and being involved in it, you know, Yes, we've been taught, and you know, when I was applying to medical school and applying to residency, you know, we were taught, don't have a Facebook account, deactivate it, make sure to change your name, you know, fear, fear, fear. At this point, you know, the fear is still there for most doctors and most organizations, but we have to get over the fear because this is where the conversations are happening. It used to be that social media was a commentary on life. It's the opposite now. Social media is where things are actually happening. And we need to take advantage of that because it is, like you said, so, so powerful. And I find that social media is a great way to circumvent the issues, some of the issues that have held women back. For example, like what you said, you know, being the one, the whistleblower or being the one that appears to be self-promotion. You know, if you read Lean In, which I'm sure all, all of your um, uh, listeners have listened to, Lean In, you know, she, Cheryl Sandberg talks about how there is a penalty for women to promote themselves. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a, both a professional penalty and a social penalty, meaning mm-hmm. women who try to promote themselves 
are often not promoted mm-hmm. because people don't like them because they're seen as self-serving. Yet those same behaviors are actually required and utilized by men to promote themselves, to actually go up the ladder. So what we're telling women in the workplace is it's not that it's all in your head. It's not all in your head. When you have pictures hanging in your office of your children, you look and appear distracted. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're not distracted. That's a fact. When you try to promote yourself and you try to say, yes, I want to be a vice president of the company, or yes, I want to be medical director, there is an actual social professional penalty and you're going to be less likely to actually get there. So what social media does in so many ways is it changes the conversation because you can build yourself up as an authority without asking anyone for permission. Mm -hmm. You can collaborate with leaders in your field one-on-one. I can't tell you how many people I've met in the field of oncology simply through Twitter. Right. Simply through Facebook. Right. I've actually someone to introduce me because I met them on my own. Right. I've actually published with people, you know, and done studies with people that I've met through social media. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, I've definitely. So there's a lot of self-sponsorship that Mm -hmm. goes on. Yep. And then there's also sponsorship opportunities that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Like the example I just gave, I had Dr. Joxie contact me. And then sponsor me both to do the study itself, which she paid for, you know, through her funding. And in the future, she has recommended me for other things, you know. So it really changes conversation where we're able to find new tools to help women succeed because of the old rule book, which is a men's club, not because men are bad, not because men are trying to hold women back, but simply, in my opinion, because the rule book for promotion in medicine is geared towards men, not women and specifically not mothers. Right. So I, I think that you have said so many really uh, accurate and correct, correct things and so many things that we could dive into. And I think that professionally for me, social media has been a huge game changer. Um, I think sometimes we can be limited in our regional area or our local community. Um, Maybe we just don't have the resources or the sponsors or the mentors that we need, but we can find those on social media. And the other thing is that, you know, besides all the professional social media for me has, has really allowed me to normalize a lot of my experiences that I've had in medicine as a woman out woman and really prevent burnout. Um, because I don't feel like uh, as isolated, I don't feel alone, but the nice thing about social media is you can engage in a community similar to what you would a doctor's lounge. Um, when yes. it is convenient for you. So absolutely, you can do it. And you wrote about that in, in your <laughs> New England Journal article. And I, that, that is so, so true. Absolutely. Um, so I think that it, it's really, it has, you know, lasting professional and personal uh, effects that we, we may not, we haven't even measured yet. We, we don't even know how to measure them. Um, yeah. So I think yeah. that if you're someone who's sitting there thinking, oh, social media is this bad thing and fearing it, uh, I would really challenge you. I would challenge you if you're listening, any, anyone that's saying that, um, you really probably need to investigate where that's coming from because most likely they're not involved in social media. Um, they yeah. are. Yeah. They have no concept of what it, the positive 
side of it or, or what it can do. And not to mention the fact that, you know, I would say 90% of the articles I read in medicine are through Twitter. <laughs> you know, yes, I follow all yes, of my major definitely. journals and I feel definitely. like I'm, I feel like I'm more educated than I was with prior because I don't have Absolutely. to wait for the paper copy and then it piles up on my desk. I can actually read abstracts and I can read literature much more efficiently than I did you know, five years ago. So I think there's so many, so many positives. Um, so how would you say, you know, I want to make sure that we're covering, you know, the, the realistic approach here. Did you have any Mm -hmm. negative backlash when you came out and kind of called out your society and said, Hey, this is really hard to, to get to these meetings and to find childcare so that I can attend this committee meeting or, you know, this woman, um, came to the meeting was breastfeeding and there was nowhere for her to breastfeed. So she had to leave. Did you face any negative backlash or any pushback? Uh, that's a great question, and I get that question a lot from people um, even more recently because I started um, an Instagram account now where it's a much more geared towards working mothers in general um, because, you know, that, that's ultimately what my overall, um, you know, job is, I would say, you know, it's bottom line is I'm a working mother, and I definitely find that I can connect with working mothers in general, even those who are not doctors. And, you know, with messaging, you know, it's so easy to just, you know, say, well, what about this? And how could you do that? And what about, you know, don't you feel guilty and all that kind of stuff? Um, I would say that I find social media to be a very positive place, which also goes back to the misconceptions people have. People have misconceptions that social media is very negative, that they're going to be attacked, that patients are going to contact them for medical advice. None of these things are true for the most part. Um, It is such a positive place, and it's really a way to build collaborations. So I think the way that people receive you on social media is very dependent on how you present yourself. I present myself as who I am as a person, which is how everyone presents themselves. Ultimately, you can't cover up who you are. This is not catfish. You know, this is a, you, your social media accounts actually represent you. And I really do feel that medicine has major issues. I think that for the most part, people who run conferences and run organizations are not trying to exclude women. I think they're really just not aware. And right. by, by, you know, I, I, offer that as my, how I feel about it. And I look to build consensus really before sharing a very strong opinion about something. So the, the more consensus I build for any argument, whether it's childcare, whether it's how horrible the match process is or, you know, maternity leave, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's really based on my own experience, but also a very big consensus among, you know, other physicians that I talk to. So I would say, no, I haven't received, I would say zero um, negativity from this, like really, really not. It's been the opposite. It's been the, the response that I've gotten for whatever issue I've brought up about women has really been overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it's a positive place. And if you, you know, try to build consensus, whether it's for the organization that you're representing or the platform that you're writing for, you know, I didn't, you know, write an article about ASCO without talking to 
to them first. You know, I reached out to them. I said, hey, what do you think about this? Have you ever done this? You know, you know, could you get me the data? Can I, can I share this? You know, it wasn't like, you know, a muckraking journalism kind of thing because I'm not looking to do that. I'm, I was looking to get information from them and to help them improve. And they thanked me. And they yeah. continue to thank me. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. so, so I no, I, I think it's such, such a great question and, and such a, a big misconception that people have about social media, that, that it's negative, that you have to, you know, constantly defend yourself. Like, really, really not. If you look for the positive, you look to build consensus, you look to connect with people, you will find it. And that's easier to do than it is to look for the negative stuff. I, I agree. I think that I, you know, I have this very large group that has about 10,000 women physician attendings in it. And, Amazing. Um, it's the most positive place for me on earth. Um, and people, when I tell them, you know, oh, I have this social media group or when it comes up in a conversation, everybody's, everybody says the same thing. Oh my gosh, I bet that's catty and negative And I bet you have to put out a lot of fires and drama. And actually I really don't. There's very little of that because it's such a positive, positive group. Um, I always say it's the most positive place on social media. Cause I, I belong to a lot of groups and I really believe that. I mean, it's just women are encouraging each other. They, they yeah. lift each other up. They're helping each other get jobs and promotions. And it's just an incredible place, but I, I, I honestly don't have to police it very much. I'm like, these are adult women who have a similar passion, which is, um, taking care of their patients and, and, and taking care of each other. So it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, it has been so great to talk to you today. And like, what would you say to a woman who's out there and maybe she just uses social media for some social connection, but she wants to start, she just wants to begin, take baby steps to implementing, you know, getting on Twitter or getting on a social media platform where she can start maybe some medical education or connecting with her subspecialty. What is the, uh, like one step, what's the first step that you would, or is there a specific platform that you would encourage her to do? Sure. So I would recommend any physician who's interested in getting involved on social media to join Twitter. Um, the first thing you want to do is put your real picture on there, uh, create uh, your Twitter handle, which is basically the name, your um, account on Twitter. It doesn't need to be complicated. It can just be your name. And then the first step is to follow accounts from your field. And look and see what people are talking about. You know, follow New England Journal. If you're a cardiologist, you know, follow the American Heart Association. If you, you know, an oncologist like myself, you want to follow ASCO, you want to follow JAMA Oncology, you know, start following people and accounts that are talking about the things that matter to you. And just spend, you know, a week or two just reading and scrolling. And you'll see immediately that, if you want to know what's happening in your field, all you need to do is go on Twitter. Yeah. That's it. You know, whether, it's so true. You know, it's, it's, right? It's like if there's an article that everyone's talking about, you're going to know because yep. you're on Twitter. Yes. Quicker, quicker than, you know, if you were an academic and, you know, had a weekly, you know, uh, journal meeting or, you know, went to Grand Round. You're going to know before everyone else. I know. It's, um, it's, and go from there. It's amazing because I'll, I'll take a few days off every now and then and I feel so behind when I get back on. I'm like, right, what is happening? Totally. Oh my gosh, this has been pulled off or this is new or this there, whatever. So it's great. Well, thank you yeah. so much. And tell us, okay, how can we follow you? How can, what are your handles? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn? Sure. Where can we find you? Give us a rundown. Sure. 
Thanks. So I am on Twitter. My handle is at mnoll underscore md. And my Instagram account is at doctor, so dr dot mimi dot k. My nickname is Mimi, so a lot of people call me that. Um, I am on Facebook. I'm also just searched my name, Miriam Knoll. And I am always happy to get messages from people. I love collaborating. Um, I've collaborated with so many people who've messaged me. So um, just message me and I would love to talk anytime. That is so awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Noel, for telling us how we can get involved, how can we can advance our careers on social media and for just being so open and honest about, you know, your journey as a, as a woman in medicine and as a mom. So those of you listening, I just hope that we told you something today that encouraged you or inspired you. And I hope that you follow myself and Dr. Noel on social media for some inspiration and encouragement and education. And as always, live brave. This has been an HSG production.